Welcome to the Midnight Train to Sleepy Hills. We hope you enjoy your ride, and we ask all guests to be aware of your surroundings, because there is danger in Sleepy Hills. Additionally, we will be releasing new episodes weekly, so stay tuned, and please like and subscribe. Now, back to our latest installment. You guys didn't have to buy us french fries, remarked Margaret, as she looked at the large bowl. No, but we wanted to, Wendy said with a warm smile. Margaret couldn't help but hop from her stool and hug Wendy for the kind gesture. Wendy was so overjoyed to see Margaret not only hug her, but actually see that she was starting to relax and enjoy their night. Wendy noticed a carefree smile that she missed seeing from her friend. The past few years, all she saw was the look of worry and fear. She knew how much Margaret wanted to be promoted. Sleepy Hill Power Systems is a hard place to move up. However, this wasn't so for Wendy, whose dream was leaving the secretary desk behind. In Wendy's case, she wanted to be a housewife who would raise her kids and would do homeschooling. The issue was finding the right person for such a task. Moreover, the selection of men was slim pickings in Sleepy Hills. She adored Max, but it would take time to get to know him better before they took their relationship to the next level. Wendy could imagine having a son who would grow up to be an amazing gentleman. The idea of two of her own kids running to greet her husband from a long day's work made her smile. It was something that she wanted so badly. Society had other plans for Wendy, and none of those options include having children early in her career. Whenever a frown was spotted on Wendy's face, it usually was related to the need of wanting to be a mother. Thank you, Wendy. Margaret whispered her thanks as she returned to the stool. Wendy sat next to Max. Well, are you not going to introduce me, Max said, shifting his eyes from me to Margaret. Oh, yeah, sorry about this as Wendy blushed slightly. Max, this is Margaret, and Margaret, this is Max, my boyfriend. It's nice meeting you for the first time, said Max, as he extended his hand out to Margaret. As the two hands hovered ever closer to one another, Bruce made a remark. How long have you guys been together? We've been seeing each other for four months by now, said Max. Isn't that about right? As he looked over to Wendy. Yes, that is about right. It's about, yeah, about four months and, and one week. She said in her usual upbeat tone. The first thing Max noticed 
was how cold Margaret's hand was. The second was how slender her fingers were. Max thought of a porcelain jar that was gently warmed. The handshake was brief, but for Max, he felt an unexpected release of tension. Max's lips parted as a sign of alleviation shower over him. Well, that went well, thought Max, as they exchanged smiles and returning their hands. I know we were not supposed to talk about politics, but do you think the mayor's speech is going to address the poor road conditions or the uptick in crime as of late? Wendy slightly narrowed her eyes to Bruce, who asked the question aloud. Max perked up for the question being asked. Even before Wendy could respond to Bruce's question, Margaret was the first to answer. Well, honey, whatever the mayor is talking about, there should be an announcement about some upgrades done to the power grid. Come on, guys, said Wendy, as she silenced Max's chance to answer the question. We never get to hang out like this, and all we can talk about is work. Okay, okay, Bruce said with a shy smile as he retracted his question. No, we need to leave work at work. It's bad enough that we work so much, but to never leave work? To never recharge? Can we actually call that living, Wendy said, with a less than enthusiastic tone in her voice? Gordon had failed to locate his vehicle, which he felt a bit embarrassed by. His feet were scraping the rocky lot more than he would like. He stopped to listen. Apparently there must be some people in the woods. The only thing he thought was strange was when he looked around and he didn't see anyone. Gordon's mind was tired and honestly all he wanted was his head touching the pillow on his bed. The sound of branches breaking could easily be heard in the lot. And despite how out of it that he was, there was a sense that something was off about this whole situation. He began to scan the parking lot. And although he didn't see anything, a sense of fear just grabbed him as he continued scanning the parking lot. With hope becoming short on supply and panic starting to rear its ugly face, Gordon was shoving his hand his right hand underneath his tight belt. And inside of his blue jeans, he began to fish for his Smith & Wesson Airlight revolver. Some relief came as he heard the unbuttoning 
of his concealed leather holster. The feeling of leather and the, and the steel grommet that had held it together was finally loose. He felt a little bit better now that his concealed weapon holster was going to finally give him his weapon back. The frantic head turning and eagle eye focus began to reduce as the feeling of a wooden handle came in contact with his fingertips. As Gordon stopped his maddening walking pace in the parking lot, he finally spotted something that brought even more ease to his elevated heartbeat. Three cars to his right, he spotted what looked like his vehicle. The issue wasn't getting to the vehicle, but pulling out his pistol. His wristwatch he wore was typically loose, so it got caught up on his belt as he jerked his hand about trying to free it and his weapon. Each step to the vehicle rewarded him with the notion that there was something off. Man, it smells like roadkill out here. The question left his lips, but no response came. He had done his fair share of roadkill reports. The smell normally didn't bother him. However, tonight's smell was especially horrible. It was the worst smell he had smelled. It was even worse than a skunk and the odor alone could damage the hardiest of paint jobs. Gordon could feel the barrel of the revolver tapping against his now shaking leg as he looked at the front entrance of the barfly. That's when he heard a voice coming from the right side of the bar. Focusing his eyes, he saw a few shadows shaped like people. Officer Gordon Mueller, could you please come to the back of the bar? The voice sounded exactly like his neighbor, who had just shared with him his superior skill of driving safety. Look, I, I told you, I wasn't interested in talking to you in the first place. Buzz off. He turned his back from the shadows, and when he heard and when he found the vehicle, he muttered under his breath. He looked in the opposite direction from the shadows where his neighbor's voice came from. The smell was also getting worse as he resumed the search for his vehicle again. Gordon's single mission was to leave this place without having to point his 38 special. Oddly enough, the sound of eating could be heard clearly from the parking lot. From Gordon's estimation, the sound was coming from behind the bar fly. It was at that moment Gordon felt a bit dizzy. He began to start falling forward and the ground felt like he was on a ship in the middle of a terrible storm. <coughs> he 
his stomach and its contents exited his mouth violently. The burning sensation inside of his throat and mouth with a horrible aftertaste. The feeling was like getting punched in the face with a boxing glove. The cold steel tube of someone's jeep frame and the modern art he left partially on the jeep with the majority on the rocky parking lot floor. Terrible or bad could be used to describe how he felt, but still holding the revolver in his right hand and managing to wipe his mouth without pointing the weapon at himself was quite a feat. Damn it, he said under his breath. From the corner of his eye, he noticed them. A touch of dread caused his muscles to lock up at the very sight of them. With a renewed sensation of fear, he traversed his vomit. Despite his fear and his subtle glance of an upcoming crowd of strangers, which appeared to be coming towards him, the strangers themselves didn't scare him, but the green glowing eyes and their expressionless faces did. There was something very wrong. Stand back, I'm an officer. I will not hesitate to shoot. The response from his would-be pursuers was silence. And honestly, he didn't, he didn't expect. He expected as much. But as he was staggering away, his legs no longer appeared to take his commands. He looked forward and noticed more of those green glowing eyes. And there was a hunger in those eyes. Turning from his right to the left and behind him, what hope remained was quickly fading as the stranger slowly walked forward. He opened up the cylinder of the revolver and counted each round in their respective chambers. 538 special plus P rounds were located nicely in its iconic circle. A sigh of horror and relief escaped Gordon when he looked to his left. His car. His damn car. But as he stared forward with a smile, to his apprehension, the strangers were 25 feet from him and closing in. Damn, my car keys are in my right front pockets. He muttered to himself. He jerked his left hand into the snug pocket. And as he jerked his hand, his left hand into his right pocket, with the grace of an elephant in a fine china shop, with a bad case of rat infestation, his index finger and thumb grasped the metallic structure. With a violent pull, the keys were free 
from his inflexible blue jeans. He still had a vice grip on the wooden handle of the pistol, remaining somewhat calm as he searched the steel ring with the many keys. At this moment, Gordon knew panic would cost him his life. Gordon's focus on finding the car keys consumed him for that short moment. He moved with such precision and automation that the moment he closed his vehicle door, a second afterwards, the strangers placed their hands at that very door. Lifting his hands from pressing down on the locking button, a few faces looked directly at him, and the green glowing eyes are much brighter when up close. Gordon's vehicle is a van that not only did he use as his personal vehicle, but he had a side business of helping people either move in or out of local homes in the area. A brief shrill escaped Gordon's mouth as he quickly pulled away from the window and navigated to the back of the van. Despite a few tears rolling down his cheeks, he checked to make sure all the doors, including the rear hatch doors, locked. With what remaining strength, he wrapped himself in his moving blankets and laid his head on an air cushion that he used as a spacer. As much as he wanted to call for help, his eyelids slammed shut without his input. Drifting asleep, he felt a gentle rocking motion and the sound of tapping on his windows. And that concludes our episode for today on the midnight train to Sleepy Hills. Please stay tuned next week for our next episode and follow the journey.